Tonight I'm going to try to talk about the Lordship of Jesus uh, so that the Christian recognizes your, your ultimate purpose and goal is to make sure he is Lord of your life. To many, he's just Savior. To us, he's supposed to be Lord. And so that means to uh, submit to him as Master and Lord. And we've said this before, that when the Lordship of Jesus is settled in the Christian's life, then all the other issues of your life are settled. Once you have someone who is the leader of your life, you don't have to lead it. And you don't have to come up with your own decisions and, and make your own choices. You just yield to him and all of a sudden it's a lot easier. And so uh, when he becomes Lord of a person's life, then the Christian is then able to uh, fulfill all of your responsibilities, all of your duties with joy. All of the Christian life becomes a joy once he's really Lord. If he's not Lord, it's a burden. I got to go to church again. I went last month. How many weeks in the month are there this month? We've gone two, two out of four, Whew. two out of four. So the question is, what type of disciple are you? And I've got different levels tonight. So level one, two, three, all the way to five. What level of disciple are you? Don't run away. Matthew 10. I'm in Mark. Matthew 10, Jesus said these wonderful words. Verse 38, he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. He who loses his life for my sake will find it. And that's the key right there. He, he, he who's looking for his life, trying to hold on to his life, trying to build his life is going to lose it. But he who loses his life will find he who loses his life for my sake will find it. So you have to go through this process. Now that's a little bit ambiguous to some degree, but the Christian has to say, okay, now Lord, teach me what this means. What does it mean to lose my life? It doesn't mean everybody uh, do the same thing, but it does mean everybody goes through the same heart change, which is I relinquish all of my selfish plans. So is Jesus the Lord of all of your life? Is he Lord of your thoughts? Is he Lord of your emotions? Is he Lord of your speech? Does he have any control of that tongue of yours? I mean, really, you're supposed to control the tongue, but does he have any influence of, of what you say? Is he Lord of your relationships? Is he Lord of your possessions? Is he Lord of your dreams? That's where you got to be careful. If you had a lot of personal dreams before you got serious about God, you better really put those on the, on the altar and examine them. And then even other things that we obsess over sometimes, is Jesus Lord of those things or is that just you? Is Jesus Christ the Lord of your whole life? Is, it, is he Lord of your public life? Is he Lord of your private life? Some people have a little bit of a problem in each of those. Or you're good on the private side, but when you get around other people, they don't even know you're a Christian. You're a wonderful saint at home, but in public, nobody knows it. You can't say no, you give in to peer pressure, you're worried about what everybody thinks at work, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Other people have, you know, a decent 
outward display of Christ in front of people, but it, their private life has got a problem. And I'm closing the book and that's good enough for tonight. That's enough for you to pray on for the rest of the evening. We, we should spend the rest of tonight just praying about that. But the truth is, as I've just said those few things, your heart is already focused on something. The Holy Spirit's already brought it to you. Go ahead and jot it down and make a, put it on your calendar. Okay, I need to really assess some of these things and yield, yield, yield to the Lord. So that's the question. How, what do I do? How do I make Jesus the Lord of my whole life? Yield. Just totally yield to him. Be willing and totally yield to give up everything. He may not make you give up everything, but you better be willing to. Amen. So anyway, let's take a little a walk through this and you can decide what level you are at. And you, know, you, might, you might have aspects of, a, of each level or different or, or multiple levels. Uh, so we're not trying to categorize you, but if you want, we can send you a survey so that you can decide what level you're at. Turn to Ephesians chapter two, level one, the level one disciple can still be a disciple even though you're brand new. Now we've said this many times that People, many people believe in Jesus, but you wouldn't call them a disciple of Jesus, right? Amen. Now, some Christians think Amen. disciples uh, are only 12. Yeah. And so it's like, oh, I'm not a disciple. Oh, that sounds way too, too intense. No, 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 no. All people who follow Jesus are called disciples. Amen. The first 12 disciples were one category. Yeah, those were the apostles of the Lamb. But every other believer after them is supposed to be a disciple. So you can believe in Jesus and not follow him. But if you follow him, you're called a disciple. So anybody, even if you just started yesterday, if you're following Jesus right now, you're a disciple. And that just really kind of implies dis disciplined one. I, I've been disciplined by the Lord. I am being trained by Jesus. That's what disciple is. It's being I'm being trained to follow in Jesus' footsteps. Simple. So a level one disciple could be somebody who basically has just only experienced salvation. And in Ephesians 2, we, there's plenty of chapters we could go to, but Ephesians 2 here kind of gives a description of what you're experiencing as a level one disciple. Chapter 2, Ephesians. And he made you alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Glory to God, you're alive now in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, that's the devil, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom we also all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and, and were by nature the children of wrath just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. Raised us up together, made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This is level one. This is salvation. This is people who have just come into fresh relationship with God through Christ. That in the ages to come, verse seven, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. By grace, you've been saved through faith. This is experiencing salvation. I'm experiencing God's kindness. I was dead in trespasses. Now I'm alive. And, and, and I'm expecting to experience his kindness for the rest of my life. Praise the Lord. 
So we're getting delivered, we're getting fixed, we're, we're experiencing the promises of God. So now we realize there's promises that I, he's made promises to me, and if I can learn them and believe them, I can have them, bring them on. And so you hear you can have joy, so you're looking for joy. You hear you can have peace, so you're expecting peace. You're expecting deliverance from all oppression and all mental torments and all demon deception. And it's like, whoa, what? I have been deceived and I am looking to get set free. And so we're excited about those things. I can have all my needs met. You mean he promised me that he would supply my life's livelihood? Glory to God, I'm, I'm excited about these things. And so there's Christians, especially new sincere Christians. Man, this is it, level one. We're so happy for them, we're so glad for, we're so glad for us all that we get to have all these things. And we can take a big sigh of relief. We made it into to the kingdom of God. And that means we're going to heaven. Praise the Lord. Level one disciple. Level two disciple. Go to Matthew chapter five. Matthew chapter five. Matthew 5, verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Level 2 disciple is extremely hungry. Hopefully you're either there now or you've been there. Extreme, you're hungry for God, hunger for righteousness, all that is right. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, which is all the things of God, which is God's way, his kingdom, that you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things are added. All of a sudden, you become more hungry for God than money, more hungry for God than anything. Jeremiah 29, go to, go, let's read these. This Bible study night, you can turn your pages. Jeremiah 29, verse 11, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with at least half your heart. When you search for me with all your heart, and I'll be found by you, says the Lord, and I'll bring you back from your captivity. So there's this theme in the Bible of you, 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 have, to search, you have to seek God with all your heart. Right. So a level two disciple has decided, I'm seeking God with all my heart. Amen. Doesn't mean you're perfect, doesn't mean everything in your life's perfect, but you are seeking God with all your heart. Amen. You realize that his word is way better than rubies. Amen. Go to Psalm 119. And just see where you're at. See if this is how you feel. See, see if you're at level two. See if this is how your heart feels about God's word. To be hungry for God means you got to be hungry for his word. You got to be hungry for lots of things, uh, but a lot of things are included in his righteousness and in his kingdom. And it kind of begins with his word. Most everything begins with his word in some way. Even worship would begin with his word. Fellowship would, be, would begin with his word because you have to fellowship around the Lord Jesus Christ, those who have received his word, those who are following his word. <clears throat> Psalm 119, 
verse 1. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord or the word of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with the whole heart. Look at verse 10. With my whole heart I've sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. When you're hungry for God, you start longing after truth. Verse 15, I'll meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways and I will delight myself in your statutes and I will not forget your word. The, The sincere Christian at level two is hungry for God's word. You got to want to learn and you got you to esteem and prize his word above everything else. Verse 47. <clears throat> I will delight myself in your commandments, which I love. My hands also I will lift up to your commandments, which I love. And I will meditate on your statutes. Uh, you need to uh, somehow apply this into your spiritual worship. Where when we're lifting hands, there's many ways to teach that. That we're lifting hands to God. We're lifting hands in surrender. We're lifting hands in honor, pointing to the one above. We're lifting our hands in submission, yes. But we're also lifting our hands to what? His commandments. Which is his person as well. But we're lifting our hands to his commandments. It's 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 another aspect of it. Delighting in his commandments. Are you delighted in God's commands? Think of how many Christians aren't all that delighted in hearing about God's commandments. But a level two real disciple is delighted in his commandments. We're excited about them for ourselves, not even necessarily for everybody else. Sometimes Christians are excited for commandments against everybody else. No, we're not talking about being angry that others aren't obeying. We're talking about you being delighted that you are. We're talking about you delighting in that God has given you instruction that you can obey. Makes life easy. Oh, you mean I can't be mad at my enemies? Okay. Oh, you mean I got to forgive everybody? All right. Makes it easy on me. I don't have to be in charge of their punishment. Praise the Lord. They've hurt me deeply, but I have a judge. He's taking care of it. I'm just going to love them and bless them and have mercy on them. And, and judge, Mr. Judge, I, I don't hold it against him. You can let him out of prison. The only one that can do that is the one that delights in the command more than the emotion or the feeling of offense or whatever you're going through. So all of a sudden you have a, you have a guide and a teacher and a one to yield to so that it takes the pressure off of you. Look at verse 72. The law of your mouth is better to me. We can say the word of your mouth because we're not under the law anymore. The word of your mouth is better to me than thousands of coins of gold and silver. What's the price of gold these days? A couple thousand dollars? Thousand of those? Come on, math people. Who really cares? It's a lot of money, right? Is, is his word more precious to you than all those thousands of coins of gold? Is it? You, a level two disciple says, you know what? Yeah, yeah. That, that money doesn't mean anything. 
So, so you, have to, you have to fight to make sure God's word and his kingdom is way more precious, valued, sought after, desired, wanted, thought about, worked for, than all the bucket of money, than all those thousands of coins. Isn't that exciting? And if you haven't gone through that yet, you need to. A real disciple says, oh, I'm still kind of pining after money. I'm still kind of planning for money. I'm still thinking about that lottery. You better quit that. Sitting around the room, what would you do if you won the lottery? Well, you know, I think I would. I know many have done that, and okay, fine, but just don't do it anymore. It's not going to get you anywhere. It's false hope. It's deferred hope. It's never going to happen. And so you're just putting pipe dreams out there that's never going to come to pass. You got your heart pining after stuff, panting after stuff, never going to happen. Looking up, you know, places to retire with blue water and a, bung- a bungalow over the ocean. Ain't going to happen. Just get somebody to Photoshop yourself sitting on the dock and then go get a virtual reality thing where you can go sit there for a moment and experience it. You might can take a vacation there, but that's not life. You can't, you can't retire. You don't get to retire there. I'm going to retire on the beach somewhere overseas. No, you're not. Not if you're a Christian. Not if you're a Christian that's not a missionary who's going to go plant a church on purpose. We got things to do for God. All right. Uh, Verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. Oh, how I love your word. It's my meditation all the day. The reason I interchanged that, just because we pass through the cross, we're not under the law. None of the apostles nor Jesus used the commands of God and called it law. They never called it law anymore after the cross. So we call it the word of God. We can still keep the principle and the character, and the pursuit of God, and the terminology, with a little slight alteration. Okay, verse 161. Princes persecute me without a cause, but my heart stands in awe of your word. I rejoice at your word as one who finds great treasure. I hate and abhor lying, but your law do I love. Seven times a day I praise you because of your righteous judgments. Notice this whole, David saying seven times a day I praise you for your righteous judgments, your commands, your precepts, your judgments. Great peace have those who love your word and nothing causes them to stumble. King James says, and nothing shall offend them. The more you love God's word, the less you'll be offended in life. Like if you'll be a lover of God's word, where that is the most important thing to you, you'll never be offended by somebody. They just can't even hurt your feelings. Why? Because I got, I'm wrapped up with God. I'm wrapped up with Jesus. I'm all in, he's all up in there and I'm with him. And so you can't hurt my feelings. I know what he thinks about you. I mean, I know what he thinks about me. What you think about me ain't so important. I would prefer that you like me. But when it comes down to it, it's never going to get in my heart if you don't. That's right. Amen. Amen. I mean, you don't get to hang with me if you don't like me. <laughs> That's your fault. 
Praise God. We're supposed to desire the sincere, as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. So level two, man, you're just really hungry for God. You're not only saved and experiencing the goodness, you're hungry for more. Level three, uh, go to Luke, I'll just tell you Luke. Okay, go to Ephesians 2 again. Ephesians 2, level three disciple is where you become a server in God's kingdom. I didn't hear any hoops and hollers and no, no glory to God's any. This is, yeah, this is where you have to, uh, you have to do something with that word called work. That four letter word that nobody really, they love level one and two. Then you become a level three disciple and you got to have to work for God. You become a server in God's kingdom. This is where in Luke 10, uh, he had already appointed 12 disciples and he gave them authority over all devils and to cure diseases. And he sent them out there to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And it worked so well. He said, let me have another 70 also. And so these, these other 70, even the 12 plus the 70, they went from believers and followers into servers and they started working and serving God. He didn't mean for these 70 to all necessarily leave their careers and come follow him that way. Uh, so what you see is that the 70 became servers with authority and responsibility. And that includes leading others to Jesus Christ. This is kind of where soul winning begins. Yes, yeah, at level three, you're going to have to start caring about people and spreading the gospel out there. But even so, inside the body of Christ, there's supposed to be a deep desire inside every believer to serve God in a meaningful way. And a meaningful way doesn't mean some notable, you know, famous way. Don't, don't fall for that. But in a meaningful way. And a meaningful way is done by touching a person. A meaningful way means I've helped somebody. Uh, and that's really all it is. It can be just the, the slightest thing of service toward God because serving God means serving people. Serving God does not mean join a monastery and become a monk, light candles and don't talk. That's the exact opposite of serving God. Serving God does not mean go be weird where nobody can relate. <laughs> serving God means that you're serving people in the name of the Lord, bringing the help from heaven to others who need it. That's called serving God. Amen. Ephesians 2, verse 8, For by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So you're not saved by works. You're not saved by doing good to people because right. we don't need you boasting about it. Right. We don't need y'all comparing your works to see who's great Amen. or who's saved. No, no, no. Right. But verse 10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. We should walk in them. Amen. You have been created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Right. So it's not salvation 
It's not faith plus works to get saved, or it's not faith plus works equals salvation. It's faith equals salvation plus works. So your faith has to go further than just getting saved and further than just enjoying the benefits of salvation. Your faith must go all the way into now I'm doing the good works I was created for. And those good works span the whole you know, realm of your life, your, your family life, your domestic life, your public life, your work life, your church life, and your meeting strangers life. Created for good works. Good works is not volunteering once a year at the Red Cross. Good works is not volunteering on Thanksgiving to go feed the homeless. It's way bigger than that. Amen. Many times people just do that to fill a sense of religious duty to make me, just to, just to kind of comfort me that I'm doing something. Well, hey, if that's all you can do, fine, but I think it means more than that. Go to 2 Timothy 3. Second Timothy 3. At the end of tonight, we're going to have the person sitting next to you grade you and, tell, and decide what level you're at. No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm, going th- I'm, I'm looking through these notes today, and I'm thinking, oh, man, I gotta, I'm going to have to work on a couple of these other levels. I'm going to have to go back to the... So we all got stuff, you know, but, and look, these levels aren't in the Bible this way, but this is just a way to help you see, ha- are you growing? Are you maturing in the Lord? Are you headed in the right direction? A disciple will want to be trained and walk closely and, you know, hey, get up here, hurry up. You know, Jesus walking, he turns around, what are you doing way back there? Get up here. You should be okay with that. Second Timothy 3, verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why, 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 why learn? Why get instructed? Why get corrected? That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for what? For every good work. So the goal is so that you're equipped for the works. Look at Titus chapter 2. Just a couple pages. Titus chapter 2 verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying godliness, excuse me, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good work. So at some point in your discipleship, you got to be zealous for good works. Look at Titus chapter, same chapter. Oh no, chapter three, chapter three, verse four. But when the kindness and love of God, our savior uh, toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we've done, 
So becoming right is not by works, not by works of righteousness that we've done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these things I want to affirm constantly that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. I like this passage because it includes both sides of the coin. You need to understand that your salvation and your righteousness are not dependent on your good deeds. You didn't get saved by your good deeds and your good works. And you don't stay saved by your good deeds and your good works. That's, that's the beauty of salvation by faith alone. You have to have that. Some people want to keep saying, but if you don't, what? What are you going to say after that? But if you, but if you don't obey God, what? What? If I don't do good works, what? What are you saying? Going to hell? Don't even think about it. My salvation and righteousness not dependent on my good works. That would be works of righteousness. Not by that that we were saved, but by grace. But that also does not exempt people from doing good things. That does not exempt people from serving God and having disciplines in their life. And helping people and doing all things that Jesus commanded and that the apostles commanded by the Spirit. You're not exempted from that just because you got saved without it. We were created for it. And you need to be careful to maintain good works. Because what they've done is they've taken away all the acts of obedience and all the activities of a Christian by saying, you don't got to go to church. That doesn't affect yourself. You don't got to go to church. You don't got to give. You don't got to do this. You don't got to do that. You don't got to speak in tongues. You don't got to, you don't got to read your Bible. Don't think of it that you don't need to read your Bible. Just ridiculous statements made trying to keep their salvation and righteousness free from works. No, it is free from works. Now work. Now serve God faithfully. And be careful to maintain. And then Paul says, I want to affirm constantly that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. And so this is one of those passages. It's like these people over here that kind of ruined half the body of Christ about 10 years ago. It's like, would you please read the next page? Would you please stop talking about only one side of the coin and read the next paragraph? I feel like Paul, I'm con- we, we have to constantly affirm these things, that sincere Christians, <laughs> that sincere Christians are careful to follow Jesus Christ closely. Amen. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. If you want to glorify God, you're going to have to finish the work. Jesus said that. I've glorified God. I have finished the work. Amen. In this level three is where your calendar changes. Your time and your money change here. Amen. You become responsible even in attendance at church. Notice the, the word I wanted to say there is respond. You become responsible to be present. Amen. You know, they say that, you know, 90% of success is just showing up. Or 80%. I don't know. A high percentage of success, just you got to be present or, or, and you're halfway home. The problem of getting to level three is your personal 
lifestyle, issues, your personal dreams, your personal pleasures are bigger than God. How could you, how could you take on responsibility at church or for people when you've got so much already planned in your domestic future? So much going on with all the things the world has to offer. There's no time to serve God. Well, if you want to be level three, if you want to continue your growth in God, you're going to have to make that decision. This is where things change is about level three. Level four. Or do we need to save level four till 2024? <laughs> no, no, this is, this is uh, you know, there's people at every level. Level four here is, I would call it partnership. Partnership with God. Partnership, where you, you feel like a partner in the company. Like you have ownership in this. Ownership in the body. Ownership for the kingdom of God. Ownership for your local church. You've taken some ownership here. I've got some partnership. I've got some stake in this. Go to John 6. John chapter 6. This is where leadership begins, where you, even if you're not called a leader necessarily or have some title or have some team that you lead, you, you at least feel like you're partly an example to others. I mean, you need to be at some point, you need to go into this place of, I am an example. My, my, I, have re, I have requirement on myself in character and in presentation to others and in how I treat people and in my tongue, and in my uh, being present, and in my serving. I, I'm an example to people. Some people say everybody's a leader. Well, you're, everybody's an example, that's for sure. Not everybody has a gift that can lead a group or something, but everybody can lead one. And at some point, you have to take that on. And I'm an example to others, so it's important how I live my life. This is where you have a, you know, moment by moment, you have the Spirit's influence in your life, what you do, where you go. And so you have spiritual hunger for more than just personal development and life improvement, more than just personal benefit. You have hunger for more than just personal benefit. You have hunger to please the Lord, hunger to truly please God and follow Jesus in every aspect of life. It's a, it's a separated life. This is where you enter into a dedicated, consecrated, separated life, and it just looks different. It feels different. Even though you may work 40 hours at a company, uh, the rest of your time, man, it looks different. Uh, John six fifty three. this is where Jesus said some pretty heavy things. Verse 53, Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I'll raise him up at the last day for my flesh is food indeed. And my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him as the living father sent me and I live because of the father. So he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? 
When he knew that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? And then the verse 63, it's the spirit who gives life, the flesh profits nothing. So all of a sudden, you know that he's talking not physical, not natural. He's, he's using these as a metaphor. Verse 66, uh, verse 65, therefore I've said to you, no one can come to me unless it's been granted to him by my father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. And he said to the 12, do you also want to walk, want to go away? So it looks like everybody but the 12 left him. So these 70 that he had commissioned that were doing the works, casting demons out and healing the sick, they got to the place where they couldn't go any further. Why? Because they weren't willing to take the partnership. They weren't willing to eat his flesh and drink his blood. They weren't willing to go all in. This separates Christians here. Who wants to go further with him? Who's willing to take on the cross of Christ? And so eating his flesh and drinking his blood, there's a whole you know, sermon in that, whole teaching in that. Doesn't mean to truly do that or think of it that way. It's to partake of him, to, to take on his body. This is where church body life becomes supreme. Praise the Lord. This is where you become pliable and not stiff-necked. Go to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. Level 4 is where fellowship with Jesus becomes top on the list in every aspect of your life. Acts chapter 10. This is the quietest night I've ever had in church. <laughs> Acts chapter 10, this is when Peter got the vision of the carpet with all the four-footed beasts, okay? And so you know in the Old Testament, the Jews were commanded that they couldn't eat anything unclean. So God separated clean animals from unclean animals. You could eat these, but you couldn't eat these. That was a big deal for the Jews, because it, depict, it denoted who were the people of God. But Jesus changed it because now everybody can be a people of God. And so he was trying to show Peter that. But in this, in this vision, it says, verse 11, Acts 10, 11, I saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners, descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, said, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, not so, Lord. I've never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time saying, what God has cleansed you must not call common. This was done three times because Peter was so hard-headed. This was done three times. The object was taken up. Now, while Peter wondered within himself what this vision meant, and we'll stop there. I just wanted you to see this kind of phrase, this Jesus shows him something, and Peter's first words are, not so, Lord. Now, I wouldn't, I'm not saying Peter did something wrong. It's just he was responding out of what he was familiar with, so that's okay. Because he, he certainly got on board real quick, didn't he? So he wasn't really in rebellion or saying, no, Lord. Uh, but that response kind of helps us evaluate ourselves. The Lord says something, or you have a sense that you're supposed to do something, your first reaction should not be, not so, Lord. It should just be, Lord. This is where you recognize how submitted you really are to the Lord. 
a hard thing comes, you're not supposed to say, not so, Lord. That's difficult. Not so, oh, man, this is too tough. Not so, I can't handle this. Not so, that's, oh, I hadn't even thought about that. You're supposed to say, oh, all right, Lord. A slave never dictates to his master. So really, the statement is quite impertinent. Um, And this is where, you know, look, Judas was a disciple for a while. But he had some problems in his heart. And I think we've seen many, many Christians like this. They, They look like a disciple, they're with, and then they're not with. They seem to be there, but then they're not really there. And we learned this a long time ago that it's, sometimes it's like, man, I, somebody leaves the church or a ministry or something. It's like, they, they left. No, no, they were never there. Yeah. Looked like they were there. They were never there. Judas was just a really a distant, deserve, a, a distant observer. He was part of the, the group, but he was distant in his heart. He was so far in his heart that, he, that Satan could put anything into his heart that he wanted to. Many Christians are like that. They're kind of around, but they're really in heart. They're not close enough. They're not sincere enough. And the devil can deceive them and put all sorts of offense in there and all sorts of just deception in their heart and and separate them from God, from Jesus, from people, from Christians. So the Judas syndrome is the ability to be part of something without letting it touch you. And that's why every year, several times a year, we're talking about being in one accord together in church, that we're striving together for something. That how could you, how could you really, how could you come to church and not let it be part of your life, not really let it in you? Well, Judas did. He hung around the master, the king of kings, and didn't let Jesus get in his heart. It's amazing, isn't it? I mean, Judas even gave Jesus a kiss on the cheek, but he had no emotional attachment no commitment, say and do one thing, but his heart's far from him, with Jesus. And this is where you start seeing that, you know what, there's just all sorts of hearts in the world. Some hearts are hard and stubborn and stiff-necked, and it happens with all sorts of types of Christians. Just don't be one. Judas had twisted loyalties. He had two masters. You can't serve God and mammon. And this is where every Christian has to recognize, how much does my heart truly serve material things, money, fame, fortune, success? You can't really serve God and that. Some people, it's just a hobby. They're afraid that God's going to take away their weekend hobby. Just a friend of the world. Just being, Judas was just a friend of the world. How friendly to the world are you? How, how ultimately committed to Christ are you? Where you can let go of the world and all the things of the world. And sure, you can have a little blessing here and a little fun there, and you can go on a little vacation here, but it's not in your heart. And then we can go even further into Judas, where somebody doesn't have any convictions about sinful things in their life, because he'll convict people who walk closely with him. So if you're not sensing any conviction about anything, then you're, you're too far. Amen. And you're not even close to level four, really. But this is where it's decided, where am I at? 
the goal is not to feel guilty about this. It's to recognize where the devil might be hiding out in your heart. And don't, don't, don't let the devil ever have any peace in your soul. Right. Don't let him ever have, have any couch to lay on inside your mind. And this is where you start seeing people justify themselves with all sorts of ridiculous lies from the devil, justifying themselves in their bad behavior, their laziness, their carelessness, their lack of being a true Christian, their lack of love walk, justifying people's self will stagnate their growth. And I don't know if I want to go into that. So let's just go into level five. Or do you want to do the justifying? Let's do it. Let's do it. We can take it. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Okay, I'll just see if I can do it quickly. So, so the uh, foot on the on the toe is is quick. Uh, justifying themselves in in all sorts of sinful lifestyle. You know, it's okay if I commit adultery because of this X, Y, Z reason. I can smoke a little weed, helps me get closer to God and, and quit thinking about all my problems. And listen, I've heard all these myself. And this is where the pastor takes the arrows for you. It's ridiculous. You've probably heard some of these things too from people. Just the ridiculous justification of all sorts of life without Jesus. Ridiculous. You know, I can promote alcohol and especially wine. It's in the Bible. No. No. You're, 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 no. You're not even close to Jesus right now. Church life. I don't need to give money to church. I can give my tithe wherever I want to. Yeah. Okay, okay, you don't have any commitment to people around you, fine. People using women in church, you can't do that. Justifying themselves. And it doesn't really happen here much, I don't think, but it, I know it's happened in a lot of churches where men will go in and they'll just bounce around and, and have what they want to have. Even after the pastor's command, no, you can't do that. No, and if we find out it happens again, you're out. No, you can't do that. They justify themselves. I can go against the pastor. Just even though the pastor said, you can do it anyway. No. Oh, don't live like that. That's wrong. Oh, here's a good one. I can leave the church without, any, without speaking to anyone. I don't even have to tell the pastors why. I just divorce everyone and everything at church. I can just leave and do what I want. No, you can't. Not, not if you're even close to being a disciple. A true disciple will put things on the table and explain and tell friends and pastor. If you're going to leave church, say bye. Really, say bye to people. Tell them what you're, what you're going to do. Usually the reason they don't is because they know what they're doing is wrong. They're letting an offense or some you know, festering uh, uh, poison you know, move them out of the will of God. So they're afraid to say it. Because they'll get challenged. That's not right. That's just justifying self. How about this one? I don't need to speak in tongues because I've heard it all. Jesus didn't speak in tongues. I don't have to speak in tongues. He didn't speak in tongues. 
justifying people's, they do this. With the, the devil helps people justify themselves, and it's, it's very bad. Do you want to know why Jesus didn't speak in tongues? First of all, he said to speak in tongues, so you're supposed to do what he said. Now, if you want to get theological about it, why didn't Jesus speak in tongues? And the answer is because he was sinless and he had perfect communion with the Father. And also because he instituted something that denoted him being invisible, but here. It's called the church. And it's speaking in tongues is the special label that signifies church, the church age and Christians. It's special to us and that's why we use it. And because Jesus said, and because the Holy Spirit explained why to speak in tongues. But people say these things. They got stiff-necked against God and all that. Okay, we'll move along here. Prideful people tend, up, tend, tend to justify themselves. Prideful people are the ones who are justifying themselves. Suspicious people justify themselves. <clears throat> Y'all ready to move on to level five? All right. Level five is deep intimacy with God. Deep intimacy with God. Now you can have intimacy with God throughout every level. But this is where you have deep intimacy with God and it becomes the most important thing in your life. You wouldn't let anything hinder your intimacy with God. This is where moms that have eight kids, parents that have eight kids, they set aside time to make sure that they still have intimacy with God. They command the kids, they hire a babysitter if they have to. They hide in the car and turn the air conditioning on, not in the garage, but outside so that they can have prayer time. I don't need anybody blaming the pastor. The pastor said, I go get my car, turn the AC on. Yeah, with the garage door open. Out, out, just put it outside the garage. Drive, drive around. But when I, when I pray in tongues, I like to close my eyes. Don't close your eyes if you're driving. You don't have to close your eyes to pray in tongues or to pray at all. All right, so Luke chapter 6, we'll, we'll finish up with this here. Luke chapter 6. Verse 40, Luke 6, 40, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. Did you know you're supposed to be like Jesus? Listen, we've come a long way. You're supposed to already know this, that you can be like Jesus. In the old day, people thought Jesus' example was so far and too far to ever reach. Now that you realize that you're actually a son of God too, and that you're filled with the same spirit and that you have his name and that you have God the Father in you just like he did and you have the same commands he had as my father sent me, I send you. All of a sudden you start realizing, oh man, he really wants me to be like him. And that means in character and that means in nature and that means in all sorts of things. So the disciple's not above his master, but supposed to be just like his master. Go to the book of John chapter 11. John chapter 11, verse 41. I just had a thought. Um, I know that a lot of people like the Chosen series, and I hadn't watched it maybe the, the last season or in a half or two. <laughs> but listen, don't, 
Don't try to be like the disciples on the chosen. Okay? They did a pretty good job depicting different personalities and how it might have been. Doesn't, it's probably not even close, but it, they did a pretty good job given the different. But don't try to be like those disciples. Why? They didn't have the Holy Ghost. They weren't born again. Didn't have the Holy Spirit. Didn't know what you know. Didn't know anything that Paul the Apostle was going to teach us and explain by the Holy Spirit. Didn't know any of the words of Jesus after the Gospels, which there are many. Didn't understand anything about the body of Christ. Nothing about a lot of things. But enjoy the series. I know that goes without saying. I just had the thought, wait a second, they've been watching these disciples. <laughs> Those aren't the disciples going through. All right. Where are we? Luke? No, John. John 11, verse 41. They took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Now, this is when he was praying about Lazarus coming out of the grave. And he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Father, I thank you that you've heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who were standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. All Jesus was doing was just so people could hear that he's with God, that this is God doing this. This is the Lord God doing this. But notice the statement. I know that you always hear me. I know that you always hear me. Level five is you know that. Level five is that your relationship with God is that you always know he hears you. And you have to be honest with yourself because sometimes our faith is high, sometimes it's low. But when you're real close to God, you'll know that he always hears you. And if you know that he hears you, you know you'd have the petitions you desired from him. So all of a sudden, the level five is just this person who seems to have God with him all the time, answering his prayer all the time. It's a great joy when the Father answers our prayer. So much that Jesus said, ask that your joy may be full. Glory. Uh, John 14, since we're close. Verse 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, will love him and manifest myself to him. So there's this closeness to the Lord where you get the manifestation of God if you obey and walk closely with him. <clears throat> Turn to Matthew 5. This will be the last book. Matthew 5. Verse 43, just to get a picture of, of the context. He's talking about giving. He's talking about helping people, going a mile if they going two miles if they ask you for one. Verse 44, or verse 43, but you've heard that it was said, you, you, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. So you got to do that. That you may be sons of your father. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those only who love you, what reward do you have? 
Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors, poor tax collectors, they were just known as the, the, the deceitful ones. Verse 48, therefore you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. So there's this idea of a real disciple wanting to be perfect. And that doesn't mean never make one mistake. It means to be totally mature. Perfect means mature. That's the way it's used in the Bible. So the way, the way we see it is you shall be perfect just like your father. That's why God said be mimickers of God, be imitators of God as dear children. And then Matthew 7, verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? And I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. What are you talking about? What does this mean? I thought all we had to do was say Jesus is Lord, and then we're in. Well, yeah... Salvation happens by a belief in your heart and a confession of your lips, and you get saved and you come into relationship with Jesus. But there are plenty of people that have said something about Jesus, said he was Lord, wanted to come to church and do things, but the truth is they never let him in their heart. And you have to let God know who's who about this. Um, <clears throat> some people try to use this and, and to scare themselves that maybe they're not saved. No, that's not how it works. If you care about your salvation deeply, then you're saved. If you really sincerely care about your salvation, you're saved. That's what I would say. For a saved person, if you care, he's not going to say, I never knew you. But there are lots of people that you can tell. They never met him. They may be coming to church. They may be saying the right things. They may be trying to do works. They may be, they might even be on a microphone. We've known preachers that weren't even saved. Preachers that got saved 20 years into their ministry and finally got born again. It's one thing to believe stuff on paper. It's another, another to actually know the Lord. And so there is plenty of Christians who they, you can tell. They, the, way, the things they've done and the way they've acted, I don't think you've really met him. You wouldn't do that if you really knew him. You wouldn't act that way. So if you're acting in a certain way that causes, not that people are supposed to be looking and judging, but... Man, you should look at yourself. You wouldn't. Amen. And I'm not, talking about, I'm not talking about shortcomings or flesh sins or, you know, you fell and you, you disobeyed God. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a, a heart feeling. You know your heart. Your heart should not have hatred, animosity toward Christians or God or anything of God. You, you, no, don't do that. If you have that, you better be, you better really, really, really take an assessment of where you're at and go back to the Lord. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. There's a story of a preacher. Uh, he was actually a Baptist preacher who can, he confessed that something was wrong in his life. This is back in the 1800s. He said that something was lacking in his life and ministry. And he said that his early Christian life was marred and his ministry paralyzed just because he had kept back one thing from a bunch of keys he had given to the Lord. You know, keys of his life, keys of his heart. He said he gave him every key except one. 
The key of one room was kept for personal use and the Lord was shut out. And he said the effect of this incomplete consecration, that's a good term there, incomplete consecration versus lose your whole life. Full consecration. Keeping back one part. He said it caused him to have a lack of power and a lack of assurance and a lack of joy and a lack of peace. He said, the joy of the Lord begins, the joy of the Lord begins when we hand over the last key. So, you know, the Holy Spirit loves you and he's helping you just let go of the next thing. Consecrate and dedicate the next piece of your life to the Lord and you'll get to the next level. This is a walk. Uh, it's a race. It's a journey. It's, you got to have some endurance about this thing. You've got to uh, not get down on yourself when you blow it. You can't beat yourself up when you have a shortcoming. When you go through a season of whatever you're going through, you can't do it. You, man, you got to hustle up. Get back in the line. Get back in the group. You got Jesus. Everybody's headed this direction. Jesus and all of his people. And when you get left behind, come on, come on, hurry up. Get back up here. You can't get down on yourself. You got to get up, dust yourself off. Everybody's fallen, everybody's dusty, and everybody's wiping each other down. You got to do this. This is a journey with God that you have to keep growing. You have to keep walking just for another 55 years. Most of you will be either dead or Jesus will have returned. And if you've got any teenagers in here, okay, six, 70, 80 years, all right. Just for a little while longer, this is just one life you got to do this. One life you got to be, you got to endure. Just one time you have to endure. Just one life where he needs you to endure till the end and overcome till the end. And he who overcomes gets it all. Thank you for joining Pastors Chaz and Joni today from Houston Faith Church. If you're looking for a good home church in Houston, Texas, we'd like to invite you to be our guest anytime. What you'll find is the Houston Faith Church is highly committed to the Word of God, the love of God, and the Spirit-filled life and ministry that Jesus expects. We know that everyone wants to make a difference in this life and that the great commission of the Lord Jesus Christ is the main thing for all of us. You'll find your purpose here and grow strong in faith at Houston Faith Church. Find more faith-building resources on our YouTube channel or subscribe to our free audio podcast. You can also connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. See you soon.